0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. My name is Michael McKay, and we are going to have a great show for you this evening. Once we get the gremlins out of the system, let me remind you how you can listen to us. You can click on any link that you see in social media and listen to us live or after the fact. You can call in on any telephone, landline or cellular. The number is 563-999-3712. And you can also use that number to call in with your questions and comments when we are able to take calls from our listeners. We have a great show this evening. Dr. Wilmingus, editor-in-chief of Lifetimes Magazine, is joining us this evening. And we'll also have Dwayne Daughtry, one of our hosts. we got four hosts for you this evening. One of them is Dwayne. How are you doing tonight, Dwayne?
1: Oh, very good. How about yourself?
0: I'm Doing wonderful. Did you get some oil on that chair? We've been we've been joking all week about the hidden <laughs> hidden goat in Dwayne's office. We were hearing goat noises last week. I assume you found the goat and shoot him out.
1: You know, it was amazing that I had no idea that it was my chair. And when I lean back, it makes a strange goat noise that everyone hears except me. And then I listened to the, the tape and the audio, and I went, oh wow, it is my chair. <laughs> But we've solved the mystery. I, I
0: gotta say we had a good laugh about this for actually for the last two weeks. It's been been a running joke among the show's staff. Let me also introduce Shauna Baldwin, who is another one of our hosts. And Shauna, you just got back from a trip to participate in the Day of Empathy activities I I, in, I had, in California. How was that?
2: I did. I went out there and that was the idea was to go out there for that and I showed up and it was good. I saw a lot of people coming in for support for people who have been previously incarcerated and people who are incarcerated right now. And I read some really sad poems and some sad stories of what's being done to people who are in prisons right now. I didn't get to make a lot of connections because I didn't stay. And I didn't stay because of the stories that I did read. It touched my heart so deeply that I felt I needed to go into contemplation on bigger ways to help. And so then that's what I did.
0: Well, I'm sure you'll have a lot more to tell us about that when we uh, when we do a show that's more focused on those sorts of activities. Day of Empathy right. was uh, just a few days ago, and I'm sure that we're going to have several people who have a lot of great stories to tell about that. Let me welcome our third host, Elizabeth Christensen. How are you doing, Elizabeth? I know you've been dealing with medical issues with your family, and we're just glad to have you this evening. I hope everything's all right on your end.
3: All right. Thank you for that. We're still working on it and hope we'll have some answers soon. But uh, the weather down here, you always ask me about the weather. For some reason, it's so not mine tonight. I'm like, Mother Nature, you were ready is off for that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And nobody ever asks you, how is the weather where you are?
0: It's not like I ever leave my house or anything. So who knows? <laughs> Actually, it's been pretty well, nice. Almost T shirt weather. Almost T shirt oh, weather nice. where I'm at. Yeah. Definitely. Well, let me tell you a little bit about our guest this evening. Our guest this evening is Dr. Will Mingus, who just told me he prefers to be called plain old Will. He's the editor-in-chief of Lifetimes Magazine, the only print magazine in the country designed and written for registrants and their families, people who are affected by being on a registry or having someone close to them on a registry. Will is also the executive director of Illinois Voices, an advocacy group in Illinois, and he has written a great article in the magazine, and, and and I've seen it other places, too, where he's told a story about how he pursued and achieved his Ph.D. after incarceration. So I'm sure he's got a lot to tell us this evening. So how are you, Will? Are you ready to tell us all about what you're doing over there at Times?
4: I am. I'm doing well, thank you, and really good to be on your show with such great people. I, I most of you I think all of you I've seen you on your on your Twitter feed, on my Twitter feed so I feel like I kind of know you but I haven't met you so it's really great to be here with y'all.
0: Super we're really really excited about having you here and you've just passed a one year anniversary at Lifetimes magazine. When you started out, did you think it was going to be this easy or this hard? Tell us a little bit about reaching this milestone. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I don't know so I thought it would be easier or hard but you know just statistically a lot of magazines will go out of business in their first year whether they're a print magazine or a digital magazine doesn't really matter just statistically a lot of them will go out of business. In fact, one of them there was a magazine that I was that I was subscribing to and reading that I kind of modeled our magazine after. The magazine was called Indian Country. And it was focused on Native Americans. And I modeled after them because they're kind of doing what we're doing in that they found a niche, a group of people that they wanted to reach, and then started a magazine specifically for them, which is exactly what we did. And that magazine didn't survive until its first year. So uh, we had a long talk with the staff at the beginning, and we kind of lamented over that. And they said, but, you know, we're going to do it. We're going we're to make this work. So we're very excited that we've already put out our first issue of 2019, which was the first magazine of our second year. And we're just really excited that people are starting to learn about it and catch on to it and really like the idea.
0: Mm -hmm. What made you decide, with everyone else moving to digital magazines, what made you decide to put out a print magazine?
4: well there's two pieces to that. Let me talk about that. So the first is why I decided to do this particular topic and this kind of magazine. And then I can tell you why I decided to go with a print magazine. So through my advocacy work with Illinois Voices and some other organizations I've worked with for years, you know, I'm inundated with the kind of stories that we all get used to. You know, the horror stories, the, the depressing things, the bad things that happen to people. They're very important stories. they got to get out there. People have to know those stories. But what I was finding is that the people who were involved with advocacy were starting to get depressed because they were, this is all they were exposed to. And yet I would meet people all the time who would tell me, you know, they've got a successful business, they got into a successful relationship, they have a, great, you know, they have a great relationship with their church. And I'm like, you know, people need to know those stories. They need to know that despite being on a public registry, people are still finding ways to cope, to prosper, to find some happiness. And I certainly don't believe that those two things are mutually exclusive. In fact, I talk a lot in the magazine about the idea that I think being involved with advocacy is a great way towards that path to finding happiness. Um, and a lot of the people that we feature in the magazine have some kind of link to an advocacy effort as well. So once we decided to do this magazine and try to put these stories out there, we talked about whether you know we should be print, digital, a little bit of both, what have you. But really, our target audience are people who are affected by the criminal justice system, people who are on a registry or connected with people on a registry. And what, what we find is that a lot of those people are very skeptical of the Internet. Some of them actually don't even have access. If they're, if they're on parole or probation or some other reason, they may not even have access to the Internet. So plus the fact that, that we aim to be a full-color, glossy print, and it's just so much nicer if you can hold that in your hand. You know, and honestly, our magazine is very discreet, so you can take it literally anywhere with you, and you can be reading it on the train. You can read it sitting out on your deck. You can take it with you wherever you go and just, you know, read it at your leisure. So that's the reason we decided to go print only on this one. It is a little unusual because a lot of magazines are actually going away from print and getting into just digital. But I think people really like the idea of receiving this in the mail four times a year. At least that's the feedback I'm getting.
0: Mm -hmm. You do a lot of personal profiles of people who are finding happiness or success in whatever they're doing. Do you have a hard time finding those success stories?
4: It's not that we have trouble finding the success stories. Sometimes we have trouble finding the people behind that because we'll read an article or we'll we'll see something on Twitter. and We're like, hey, look what this person's doing. Let's try to get a hold of them. And people who are careful about what information they give out. So sometimes we have to work a little bit to reach them. And then the other problem we find is that some people who are doing well and, and finding success and happiness, they're they're very reluctant to put it out there for the world. Even though, you know, we have, a, we have the ability to make people anonymous, we can change identifying information. In some of our stories, people didn't want to be identified, so we just use stock photos instead of using real photos of them. So we can keep their identity pretty well hidden if they want to. Other people have come to us and said, "Well, no, we don't care, you know, they just put, use my real name, use my real picture. So sometimes I see some people that are doing really well, and I reach out to them and say, hey, I'd love to do an article for you for the magazine. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to pass this time. So that's the bigger problem than finding people who are, who are finding success.
0: I've talked to a lot of people who love the magazine, who are very impressed when they look at it, read it, subscribe to it. Do you ever get or have you ever gotten any feedback from people saying this is a really bad idea?
4: We haven't gotten anything saying it was a bad idea. What we have gotten is people who have different interests that they that they maybe they misunderstand what it was that we're doing. And so for instance we've had people come and say, you know, why are you talking about recipes? I wanna hear about legal challenges. I wanna hear about laws and it's that idea that they, that they think we're just, not just, but they think that this is um, an advocacy magazine, and we really are not an advocacy magazine per se. We're more of a lifestyle magazine. So some people just find that they, they get it, and that's not really what they wanted. They were more interested in advocacy, and so they may decide not to renew their subscription and, and instead try to find an advocacy magazine. But I have not met anybody yet who said that the concept overall is a bad one.
0: Actually, that's kind of surprising to me. There's always a lot of naysayers every time you take on a big project. You started this one year ago with a Kickstarter proposal. And I I, uh,
4: just, you just reminded me the, the, the an organization in California posted um, a link to the magazine early on. And in reading through the comments, There were some very negative comments there. One person wrote, well, I'm not going to pay $35 for something that I can find anywhere on the Internet. And another person said, well, this is probably a scam just trying to get our money. And so just some of the people who didn't know me, didn't know our organization, they were just very skeptical of the idea in general. They thought it was a money-making thing that we were just trying to fleece them. So I guess in that sense, there has been some negative things. But people who actually got the magazine and read it, I haven't heard any negative comments from it.
0: And this is a a very expensive thing to have to produce on a regular basis. And everyone that's working on your staff is a volunteer, isn't that right? That
4: is correct. That's correct. Things have changed. If, If we had tried to do this 10 years ago... In fact, one of the one of the things that then gave me the idea was there was a magazine that was put out. I don't remember how many years ago. It was self-published on Amazon, and you could buy it from there. And I think it was called, like, The Advocate or Advocacy or something like that. And it was literally a, a print advocacy magazine. And it was filled with just a lot of the stories that we see, you know, in the Narcell Digest or what have you. And, it, you know, but back then, they were charging, I think, $15 or something like that per magazine, because it was really expensive to produce through that. There's been some technological changes, and, and, you know, I found an organization that can actually print them relatively cost-effectively without having to, you know, normally with a magazine, if you're not printing 100,000 copies, it's going to cost you a lot of money. But this company actually specializes in very small runs, so we were able to get this printed at a cost that the people could actually afford. Otherwise, we'd be having to charge $150 a year for subscription, and, you know, we probably would have a tough sale with that.
0: You're also the executive director of Illinois Voices. Tell us a little bit about that organization.
4: So Illinois Voices is an advocacy organization for people on public registries. Generally speaking, we focus in two two areas. We focus on legislation and we focus on litigation. We have a sister organization that we also started that's trying to get more into some of the social support areas because that's so desperately needed. But Illinois Voices, per se, we work with lawmakers to help them understand why certain laws just don't make sense and why the information they're hearing doesn't make sense and basically try to convince them that these are bad bills. And then a few years ago, we partnered with a couple of civil rights attorneys here in Illinois who were very excited about what we were doing and have learned a lot in the few years they've been doing this. And they are actually helping us challenge laws that we believe are unconstitutional, unfair, and unneeded. And we, we, they've got, I think, five or six lawsuits going right now in Illinois. So that's the two things we, we mostly focus on.
0: Super. I know Dwayne has a lot of questions for you, and I'll bet you one or two of them have something to do with uh, getting your Ph.D. after incarceration and, and while a registrant. So take it away, Dwayne.
1: Thank you very much, Michael. Welcome, Will. It's very difficult for me to not say doctor because I'm so I'm in the middle of mine, <laughs> my PhD at this point, so so I feel well, like. You know, um, I'll, I'll I'm never stop slay.
4: anybody from calling me doctor if they want to. So. <laughs> <laughs> but see,
1: I'm I'm really thankful that you have brought Lifetime magazine to a group of people that are really struggling to find. I would call it positive or maybe non-advocacy ways of hearing other stories. And for our listeners, I would highly suggest or encourage, if you haven't seen this website, I highly encourage doing so. But, however, as a part of the recovering process, do you feel that it's really difficult for those exiting or reintegrating into society are finding the message that's aligned with them?
4: You're talking about people that are just like coming out of incarceration or just coming into the Correct, system? Correct,
1: yes. Yeah, actually,
4: what we're finding is not only do they, in fact, there's people who are still incarcerated who love the magazine because it gives them hope that when they get out, there may be something that they can do that won't cause them to just pine away. But we also find that people who are newly released are enjoying it. And also family members of people who are newly released or about to be released are enjoying it because they're hearing all the horror stories. And they find it very refreshing to know that in time, there are ways to find happiness, to get a job, to get into a relationship, to find a church that will accept you. And, and so they're really liking the fact that, that we're sharing with them the positive stories. I mean, obviously, there's, there's negative stories that they need to be aware of, but, you know, they can hear that plenty. There's, there's a lot of places they can find those, some of the realities they're going to hit them. But I think the message resonates with just about anybody who's impacted by this draconian system.
1: Right, exactly. And some of your research prior to all of this was based upon labels, and that was from the the prison-to-integration applying uh, modified labeling uh, Mm theory to sex offenders, and I've read that thoroughly as a part of my continued research. But the media, people, and society tend to generally label others, and are you discovering from an academic versus personal viewpoint that labels are still indeed a challenge?
4: Well, of course, labels are always going to be a challenge. What I talk about a lot in the magazine is how to overcome those labels on an internal basis. We talk a little bit about how to overcome them on an external basis, basically the concept that you just stop using them, you know, and, and you encourage advocacy organizations to stop using them. And instead of using the label, we prefer to use what we call people-first language. So instead of saying a registrant or a murderer or an arsonist or a sex offender, we say a person on the registry, right? So we always put people first. So labels are always going to be a problem because society buys into those labels, and then they make assumptions about people based on those labels. Well, what I think is really important is how people can overcome those labels internally and realize that just because people are out there putting this label on them doesn't mean that they have to assume that label and accept that label, right? And and that was a hard struggle for me, and I'm sure it's a hard struggle for just about anybody in this situation, because they're inundated through the media, through hearing other people talk. And through laws, I mean, they just get inundated with the idea that if you you have this label put on you, then you are this terrible person that the label says. But when you begin to realize that those labels are just that, they're an externally imposed label, and we don't have to accept those. Because really, we're the only ones who know our own hearts. We're the ones who, who know where we're at. And, you know, people can call me whatever they want to. I don't have to accept it internally. On the other hand, I do have to live with the consequences, right? Because if they put the label on and say, if you have this label on you, you can't go here, then I can't go there, right? I have to accept that.
1: And you mentioned also that people that are on the registry are having a difficult time integrating into possibly congregations, churches, faith, or so forth. It brings to mind when gays and lesbians had no public outlet to communicate, share, and relate to one another years ago. I found that there are other things, you know, when we're talking about labels, the there is a church or congregation called Metropolitan Community Church, mm-hmm. which is a, a very strong LGBT community, but they do have a lot of members that are more allies, and they really strip away a lot of the labels. Are you finding that kind of helpful?
4: Well, I mean, of course it would be if they were willing to do that, and if the, you know, the congregation were willing, to, you know, open-minded enough to accept that what I find is that there's, there are congregations who are accepting, but a lot of them are still really kind of stuck on the label, right? So right. they're going to say, well, we know that you're this sex offender or, you know, murder or arsonist, but, you know, we're going to forgive you, we're going to invite you in. I think that it's a truly unique thing if people can get past that label and just say, I know you're a human being with a, your own humanity, and I'm going to invite you in because that's what we do.
1: So do you feel that registrants also are missing out on opportunities to become valuable education assets? You went to college and finished a PhD. I'm in my PhD and I'm seeing so many other people out there on the registry that are going back to college. Do you think that there may be a calling that and the positivity, we're trying to look for the positivity And in your Lifetimes magazine. Do you think that is an extension that people should go back and seek an education?
4: We have a regular feature in the magazine about higher education, and I always like to push those articles to the point where some of the staff even says, well, maybe we've done enough about that. You know, we don't really need to do more. I absolutely believe that people should, if they can and if they're interested, they should go back and seek, you know, whether it's their bachelor's degree or graduate degree not just because it will necessarily give them a leg up on finding a job, although I I certainly believe it will. There's enough disadvantages being on the registry that anything you can do to give yourself a little bit more of a boost is great. But also, for me, going back to, to school, and I remember the first graduate class I took was a class called Social Inequality, and I found it just absolutely amazing that people were out there talking about this stuff. And it opened my eyes to a lot of things that that I just didn't really understand or really know before, um, including this whole concept of the labels and, and how we can rise above those labels. So, yeah, I think, that, I think higher education is great. Unfortunately, there are areas that are making it more difficult. There are some places that simply won't even allow people on the registry to go. Other places make you, about halfway through, they passed a law um, in Illinois here that you had to register not only in your local jurisdiction but also with the campus. So that became another layer. So there you know, there can be multiple layers you have to go through, but the people that have talked to me and said they've done it so they don't regret it and they don't mind going through those layers of difficulty because it's worth it to them.
1: But it sounds like it's self labeling instead of public labeling when people are putting barriers in front of themselves. Do you kind of agree with that assessment?
4: Well I I do. I mean that's what the that's what my master's thesis really was all about was this this idea that it doesn't matter whether People are not giving you the, the opportunities because of your label. A lot of people won't even try because they're afraid that they're going to be labeled. So they're, they're like, well, right. I'm not going to go to school because I don't, want to, I don't want them to know. And I'm not going to try and get involved with this organization because what if somebody there finds out? In one of the articles I wrote for the magazine, I call that buying into it, right? We buy into it ourselves. And then instead of going out there and trying, we just simply sit at home and don't try at all because we're afraid of what might happen if we do. So absolutely, self-labeling is a huge issue.
1: And lastly, before I turn it over to Shauna, is, is there a way that people that are listening now can provide you information, data, or so forth to say, I've got a story to tell? And I have really something positive to say. Is there a a method that they can get in touch with you about that?
4: Absolutely. We love reader submissions. We also like it just when people tell us, you know, I've got a story to tell, but I'm not really a writer. And that's fine because what we'll do is we'll have one of our editors contact them, do an interview, and we'll write the story. We also have people who write the story themselves, and they send it in, and we do a little bit of polishing of it, and they make great articles. So they can go to our website, and there's actually a a menu pick there for submit your article or photo or whatever. Or they can email us, or if you don't have mail, they can just drop it in the old-fashioned U.S. Postal Service mail and send it to us. We get quite a few submissions. Some of them are not really what we're looking for. And what we tend to do is we try to pass those on to an advocacy organization who might want to use it as part of their publication. So, uh, some people are still a little confused about what we do, so we do get some stuff that's not necessarily right for our magazine, but I think it will be right for some magazine.
1: Sure. And thank you very much. I mean, I I guess some of us are kind of fans of Dr. Phil, and now I'm a fan of Dr. Will. So, uh, (laughs) thank you for being here tonight. Shawna, how are you tonight?
2: Fantastic. First of all, Dr. Vingus, I want to thank you for being on our show tonight, and I want to thank you for making an anonymous platform for registrants. I think it takes some people that have been kicked down really hard to see a vision of positivity in something Mm -hmm. that can be extremely ugly. And I just want to thank you from one registrant to another for having the same vision as we have all here tonight talking. So I'd Mm -hmm. like to welcome you to the show with that
4: first. Thank you. And I appreciate that. You know, I want to returned the compliment by telling you that I thought that you were amazingly brave in talking with David Feigen and and doing that particular part of the movie. It certainly touched my heart to hear your story, and I just thought it was amazing that you were willing to put yourself out there that way.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. So, there was a couple things that I have read looking at your magazine, and and, and before I actually go into that, I want to take off of what Dwayne had said. The whole thing about like the schools and the church and things like that, I do want just to say that I don't think society understands that we actually have to get approval to do those things. And that can be difficult as well. That can be difficult in just the smallest things that some people may take for granted that they don't understand that we actually have to get permissions for. So thank you for talking about those things also. And I wanted to talk about the Reclaiming Sexual Bliss article that Hmm. Dr. Craig Hallenstein.
4: Hallenstein. Okay.
2: Thank you that he wrote and uh-huh. I, I when I saw that it struck an interest and the reason I say that is because I think a lot of that has to do with inner healing which is what you were talking about as far as like not buying into it not claiming that on ourselves if we are telling ourselves I'm a sex spinner I'm a sex spinner which is what we were told in group for years and years and, that, right. and and almost the sex is bad and we get almost programmed to believe that right. I know personally for myself it was very difficult. I'd love to hear more about
4: what you think on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly in that when I started talking to Craig about doing an article for us, you know, he I first met him when he was talking about his book, The Dolphin, which is an amazing book if you get a chance to read it. It's a, fi- it's a piece of fiction, but it features somebody on the registry as the main character. So it's just its a great read. But the more I talked to him, the more I was just amazed by his, his ideas and, and his thinking. And one of the things he told me was that he thinks that people who, Wind up going through the, this court-ordered therapy because of a sex offense in their life. They get inundated with not just a message that they're bad, but the message that sex in itself is somehow bad, right? And so they they wind up with a very unhealthy view of sexuality, including their own sexuality and their own ability to have an intimate relationship um, with another adult. Um, and so that's what he wanted to write about on that: the idea that that you know we can still be very sexually active, very sexually interested and have an intimate relationship with with other people and that we have to kind of move beyond some of the bad stuff that, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a believer in therapy and I think that some, you know, therapy can help people if it's done right. But I think that the way we do it today in a lot of places is it does push that shame so strong that people come out so afraid of any kind of intimacy that they become very stilted in their ability to be intimate with other people.
3: I absolutely agree
2: with you. I couldn't have said that better, actually. And I think that there also plays a role in the fact that a lot of people who are actually victims themselves, I think Elizabeth probably has a lot to ask as well. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to her. Thank you so much, Dr. Mingus, for course, being here again. And, and thank you for your platform.
4: Thank you.
3: Hi, Dr. Will. How are you tonight?
4: I am doing good. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing well. Thank you in your magazine, can you tell me about maybe what kind of supportive
4: resources are in there? At the very end of the magazine, we do list, and we have an entire page dedicated to talking, you know, letting, pointing people towards state organizations, national organizations, different types of support organizations.
3: That's great.
4: So, you know, people can always flip back to that and, and find something local for them. Again, since we're not really an advocacy organization, we're more of a lifestyle magazine, we don't necessarily include a lot of information in the articles themselves about where to find that kind of support. Although we do often feature some type of advocacy organization or person who works in an advocacy role, and then they often will talk about some places people can go to find support.
3: Right. Do you do, um, like, job interview tips or maybe companies or things like red flags to look out for?
4: Yeah, actually, and uh, in, in one of the, I think it was just our most recent issue, we actually did do a story uh, about how to deal with the oh question, is what we called it, or the, you know, that is that that moment where you get you're going through application, everything is fine, and then you get to the part that says, have you ever been convicted of a crime? And we did give a lot of tips on how to not only answer that question on the application, but then how to address it in, in an interview, either a face-to-face interview or phone interview, how you should go about being honest while avoiding what we call the scary words, right? So it's very different than when you're in a therapy group and the emphasis is put on being completely open and being honest and not minimizing. But when you're in a job interview, it's not that you're trying to minimize, minimize but you, what you're trying to do is kind of steer away from the words that send up red flags and alarm bells in people's ears. And so we try to avoid those scary words while still being honest and accountable.
3: All right. That's great advice. And you know, people coming back to their communities feel like, this is such an insurmountable thing. What would be your advice on how to find their center and find their strength The a way to get back and feel human again?
4: Well, I think that the, the first thing I would tell people is this idea of basically rejecting the labels that people are trying to put on them, right? And and it's really hard because if you come out of prison, if you come out of court-ordered therapy, it's really all about being labeled, being told that you will be this for the rest of your life and that this makes you this kind of a person, which is usually a negative, right? You're going to be a bad person because you're going to be labeled this. If people can begin to realize that that, that that's what those are, those are externally imposed labels being put on people that really... I don't have to care about whether they want to put that label. I mean, obviously the label is important in the sense that, you know, that does provide restrictions and it does make a difference on what you can and can't get involved with. But from an internal standpoint, if you can realize that only you know who you are in your own heart and that those labels, that's, that, that's what they are. are somebody else's idea of who you are, not your own idea of who you are. Then you begin to begin right. to come to peace with yourself. Once you're at peace with yourself, then it becomes a little easier to put yourself out there and not be afraid that somebody's going to turn around and point a finger at you and say, hey, you're one of those. Well, I've already come to peace right. with that. So, that, so that, that finger pointing isn't really bothering me.
3: That's such great advice. My other question for you was, you mentioned earlier that the magazine didn't stand out. My question to you would be, would this be something suitable to, to leave in a, um, a lobby for a counselor's office? And maybe not just counselors who specialize in court-mandated counseling, but one who may counsel children and families
4: as well. Well, first of all, when I said it doesn't stand out, because I think it actually stands out in the crowd as being the only magazine that does what it does. But what we did is we've we've made it very discreet. So our cover, the only thing on it is Lifetimes, Finding Life's Joys in the Face of Adversity. And then on the back is just a quote, and it's just kind of a general quote. That way people can read it in a public setting without somebody thinking that, you know, reading the cover and going, oh my gosh, you're one of those. So we're very discreet about it, but it is a very narrowly tailored magazine as well. So really the the mass appeal to it is going to be people who are on a registry or who are impacted but because of, of their relationship with somebody on a registry or their, their advocacy work or whatever. I would say that there's nothing in there that is going to be offensive to a child, but I don't think there's going to really be anything in there for a child that that child's going to find interesting. I think that putting them in a therapist's office is a great idea. In fact, we have several therapists who subscribe. We have people who request extra copies so they can give them to their therapists. We've had therapists present it in their group and say, you guys really, you know, should, should read this. There's a lot of good information for you. So I think it is a great place to put it in therapist's office. I think attorneys who work with people on the registry should have it in their office, uh, I think that a- anything right. that, that that touches this concept, I think, would be a good place for it.
3: Right. I was just, I guess, I could have said it better by, is this PG-13? Is that acceptable?
4: I would assume so. I mean, we don't do, we don't use any profanity and we don't use any and right. uh, anything. Like I said, I don't think there's anything in there that would offend a child. I just don't think there's anything that they would find particularly interesting. Okay. We, we make right. a very conscious decision that we don't to that idea came up at one point, because there are a lot of people who are, are children of somebody who's on a registry, you know, and they, and there's probably a lot of good advice for them as well. But given right. our okay. target audience, we made it, we made a conscious decision that we don't feature articles about children or for children. And in fact, I, we, we, we don't, really include any pictures of children or anything like that. We just don't want to give anybody any ammunition to come across and say, well, look, this is what you're doing in your magazine because that's who you Absolutely. are. So, so we're pretty careful right. about our content.
1: Yes,
3: okay. I haven't received my copy yet, so I, I couldn't speak from experience. Mm-hmm. So the magazine looks like it has great insights. So it looks like a really good quality magazine and also something that could be, you know, shareable. Like when I'm done with it, it would hold up well for maybe someone else's use.
4: Yep. And, you know, we, what we find is I hear a lot of people who are incarcerated who will tell me that they read it and then pass it out all over, you know, their, their wing or their, their dorm or whatever, and that it makes the rounds. And some of the advocacy people that I talk to say the same thing. They read it and then pass it on. I, I had one guy email me and ask me if I would send him another copy because he let his out and it made the rounds and never came back to him. So,
3: so happy to see that it's in print because when individuals first return, in some cases, they don't have Internet access, right. and that's the time that they need the most support.
4: Right. I agree, and that, that was a, a big factor um, in deciding to do print. And Plus, you know, I just think it's just like everybody says that books are outdated. Nobody buys books anymore, but they do. People really, sometimes you just like to have the paper in your hands and, and be able to sit out in the sunshine and, and just sit there and, and, and read it. And, So I think people are are enjoying the magazine. It's a little bit more costly, you know, to do it in print, because not only do we have to print it, but then we have to ship it. You know, we could probably do it for a fraction of the cost if we did it digitally. But I think people really enjoy the the quality and the feel of it when when they receive it in the mail.
3: Right. I think the content is well worth the investment. So I have one more question for you. What is your productivity secret that allows you to get so much done?
4: That's a good question, because sometimes I don't feel like I'm getting much done at all. (laughs) Uh, I I do keep very busy. I guess one of the things that I do is, you know, I don't try to do everything by myself. So, you know, we we have a staff of five editors. I've got a business manager, and I have a graphics design person. You know, and so we're all kind of sharing those different tasks, and we delegate them out, and people do their piece to it. And I actually find it more difficult in advocacy to do that, because there are so many people who are so thankful that Illinois Voices exists but so few people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and actually do some of the work. And a lot of times it's not because they don't want to, it's just, they simply don't know how to do it. And anybody who's an advocacy will tell you that sometimes it takes us longer to tell somebody how to do something than it just to do it ourselves. So, but really, I mean, I think that's a big key is, is not thinking that you have to do everything on your own, because in addition to doing the magazine and doing Illinois voices, I also run my own company. We employ probably 10 or 15 people who are on the registry that company keeps me quite busy as well, So, and I'm also very involved in my local community theater. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of stuff to, to do in a short amount of time.
3: Well, that's excellent. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you tonight. You've given me lots of great information to work on. I look forward to getting my magazine soon and being able to share this wonderful tool with others. Thank you so great. much.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Will. It's me again. And every Hello. time I listen to the to the questions that everyone else asks, suddenly a dozen more great questions pop into my mind. So I always get the privilege of wrapping things up towards the end of the hour. And so I've got a couple of questions for you. One of them is, okay. have you had the chance to gauge the reaction of someone? not related to the registry? I know that most of your readers are people on the registry or their families, and we have a few people reading the magazine who are incarcerated. But have you ever had the chance to watch someone who is not one of those three groups check out the magazine and and react to it?
4: You know, I don't don't know if I've seen anybody actually read the magazine and react to it. I guess the closest that we came to that is when we gave out copies of it to the, to everybody who attended the NARSOL conference last year, you know, and I I was able to look around the room and watch people read it sometimes for the first time and kind of see their facial expression, what have you. But I imagine that there are people out there who are not directly impacted, but I think that it's becoming harder and harder to find people who don't have some kind of connection to this issue because i hear from a lot of people oh yeah i have a cousin or i have a, a a friend or i have somebody else who's on the registry so people really are kind of impacted by this maybe just not as directly i will tell you that one of our one of my loyal readers is my sister who you know is only connected to the issue because of me but she she tells me often how much she enjo- looks forward to reading the issue and and looks forward to the magazine. And even though it doesn't directly impact her like it does me, she just really enjoys it. And I know some people from the university who subscribe and they tell me the same thing. They just, they really enjoy the magazine, even though they are not necessarily directly impacted by it other than their association with me.
0: I'm going to make your day then, Will, because I had a house guest for three weeks during the month of February who has, up to that moment, never had any connection with the registry, really just knew in the most casual way that I was on a registry, knew absolutely nothing about the subject matter of the magazine, but... Picked up the magazine while she was a, a house guest and loved the magazine, asked to read every copy that I had available, and told me she was going to subscribe when she Bye. went back to her home state. So I think that in general, even people who know nothing about the registry or the people on it would find it a really Good magazine and a very positive and uplifting magazine. And a lot of the lessons learned and and articles in there apply to all walks of life, people in all sorts of situations, facing all sorts of adversities. So, I just thought I'd let you know that that at least one person, yeah, yeah, at least one person who knows nothing about the registry loves the magazine. So great has anyone ever told you that the magazine is presenting maybe too much of a rosy picture, uh, maybe too much accent on the positivity and ignoring all the horrible things that are going on in, in registrants' lives?
4: You know, nobody's actually told me that. And yet I worry about that. So you will often hear me, uh, well, not hear me, but you'll read the things that I write, especially in the from the editor at the beginning, where I, I just emphasize to people that we don't, try to say that there aren't challenges. And we're certainly not trying to say that you should just roll over and accept what anybody wants to put on you. Just try to find happiness anyway. We absolutely advocate or or push the idea that advocacy is a great way to find happiness and be able to give back, um, balance karma a little bit. So I I run Illinois my voices and we're fighting. We're fighting the the laws and and the unfairness of things. My point then becomes while we're doing it, because you and I know, you know, we're not going to see registries end tomorrow. We may not see registries end in our lifetime. I absolutely believe they will someday. I think someday we'll look back at registries the same way we look at Jim Crow laws and that we look at internment camps. But it's going to be a while. And in the meantime, I just don't buy into the idea that we just have to be miserable until that happens. That there are things that we can do to find life's little joys and happinesses along the way while we go ahead and fight for the injustice at the same time. So I guess I worry more about it than what other people do because nobody's actually come up to me and and said that they think it's too rosy of a picture.
0: Okay, I've got another question for you, and this one is from the perspective of a writer. I come into contact with lots of writers almost every day in the course of what I do as an advocate and Mm -hmm. uh, the work that I do as a blogger and and working with Narsal and and in social media. and, And there's so many people who want to tell their story. And there's so many talented writers out there, but it's really hard take it from somebody who who had to teach himself how to do this uh, in, in submitting articles for the magazine myself. To, uh, tell us a little bit about what it takes to write a good article for lifetimes.
4: Yeah, I, I, I guess if I were to say it was hard to write for lifetimes, I think that that would be in the sense that, that we're a different message. And sometimes it's hard for people to get used to the difference in our messaging so for example when I edit any because I edit everything that gets submitted um, I know some people may not like that so much but that's what I do and one of the things I do is I look for tone and I look for language and you know for instance if somebody uses any kind of labeling language I'm going to change it and we're going to turn that into people first language so getting the tone down I think is what is hard for people because they're so used to telling their story in in kind of an advocacy way where they're trying to show people in the world the injustices again absolutely important that we do that it's just not what we're looking for in this particular magazine so you know I I do usually wind up doing some rewrite a little bit of changing around I always give it back to people and I'm like this is my idea this is what I think we should do I'm open to any discussion if you think that I've changed too much or you'd like to, to talk about it but it can be a challenge to write from this this particular language of happiness and joy and hopefulness when you're so used to looking around and seeing all the negative things that are happening to people because they're on the registry.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You also feature a lot of beautiful, really gorgeous photographs. Your covers are all really very artistic and inspiring, but there's kind of a challenge to what you're able to use in terms of photographs, isn't there?
4: There's, there's a great challenge because you know we we love to use actual photographs of people if they're if they're willing but obviously for you know some people aren't they're not willing to put themselves out there that much and so then we do rely on some stock photos and I, you know i will spend hours going through stock photos to find the right one because we have to be careful that we don't put somebody on in, in an article and, and make a suggestion that that person is on a registry or has committed a crime when they have it even though stock photos you know, they, they, they sign a release. They're supposed to be able to use them for everything. But we're still very careful about how we portray people. We don't want to falsely label somebody any more than we want to be labeled. What I would love to do is I'd love to get people who are photographers who would submit their photos or be willing to take assignments and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do an article this month on churches, uh, and I need a photo of this, this, and this so you, that you can get me something. Uh, or people just submit their photos, and, and we have a few people that have done it. We put them into a repository, and when we're looking for a cover or a picture that goes with a particular article, we'll comb through that repository and see if we have any original photos before we turn to stock photos. So if if anybody's listening that that likes to dabble in photography, um, we'd love to have you submit your work.
0: Super. There's always going to be a need for writers, photographers, but but you probably need volunteers in other areas too, don't you?
4: We do. Um, now that now that we're starting to grow, I mean we're we're a relatively small magazine right now. You know our circulation at the end of last year was at about 250, which was more than double what we started with. So I was happy with that. But we have a very ambitious goal of of trying to reach 10% of what we call our target population. 10% would be 100,000 subscribers. When we get to 100,000 subscribers, there's no way that we can do it the same way we're doing it now. So we need to we need people who are willing to do things like help with the subscriptions, answer emails proofread uh, some of the things that aren't quite as glamorous as writing or doing the photography, but things that absolutely need to happen in order for a magazine to be successful. So um, we're, we're always looking for people who are willing to volunteer their time for now. Our goal is if we can, if we can get 10,000, 20,000, hundred thousand subscribers, even with our very small profit margin, we would make enough money that we would be able to offer employment to people who are on the registry or connected with the registry Um, And that would be another way that we would be able to give back is being able to help people find actually paid work and be able to pay people for their submissions. So that's our ultimate goal, and we're just going to have to be patient before we can get there.
0: Super. What are you going to do differently in your second year than you did in your first year?
4: Well, as far as the magazine in general, one of the things we're going to try and do differently is try to get the word out more. We're trying to form some partnerships with different advocacy organizations and other people that can help us get the word out because I found out that actually somebody who, who is a big player in an advocacy organization had never heard of us. And I'm like, wow, that, that we need to fix that. Um, as far as the magazine itself, we are dabbling a little bit into advocacy only in the sense that we want to start featuring some people who are out there doing advocacy work. And and then just feature an article about about the work that they do and how they're helping other people and how they're making a difference in people's lives. So look for that. Um, I think we're going to call it advocacy and action. Um, We're going to be trying to include that column in the the issues coming up.
0: Mm -hmm. Are you pursuing uh, strategic partnerships with organizations or businesses or anything like that?
4: We are, there's several ways we can do it. You know, we can do like a reciprocal advertising. We can do that by helping people. So for example, if an organization wants to offer some kind of incentive for becoming a member of the organization, we could talk to them about offering a, a subscription to the magazine as a benefit of joining the organization. We can be at their events and talk about the magazine. So yeah, we are we are trying to reach out to any kind of organization that touches this area at all um, and see how we can work together to help them get their word out and help us get our word out. Mm-hmm.
0: If you know a registrant or a family member of a registrant, this the, a subscription to the magazine would, would make a great gift, wouldn't it?
4: Yeah, and that's, we, we offer that on our subscription form, uh, and a number of people do that whether it's an incarcerated person or a loved one or a friend because they're you know, I mean I think we're pretty reasonable. Our subscription costs thirty five dollars a year for four issues. And if you and if you do it online with the credit card, you actually have the option of paying it monthly at three fifty nine a month, I think is the cost of three forty nine, something like that. So it's pretty reasonable subscription. But for people who don't have a job, who are struggling just to buy groceries, thirty five dollars is a lot of money. We've had a number of people who have given us They just give us an extra $35 when they subscribe and say, hey, give this to somebody who can't afford it themselves. So we do have a limited number of reduced subscriptions that we can give out. But, yeah, and they make a great gift. And anybody that would like to give a gift, they can certainly do that through our website.
0: Super. Tell the folks how they can check out your website and contact you personally if they are so inclined.
4: So our website is www.lifetimesmagazine.org. Um, we are a .org because we're a nonprofit organization. So we are not in this to make money. We're in this to get this, the, the word out, and, and we all enjoy doing it. So it's lifetimesmagazine.org. If people do not have access to our website, they, you know, we do have a P.O. Box. It's P.O. Box 453 in DeKalb, Illinois, 60115, and they can always snail mail us. They can get general information. If they want to just send a general email, they can send that to info at But if they want to reach me directly, it's just simply my first name, Will, at lifetimesmagazine.org.
0: Well, I want to thank you so much, Will, for being our guest tonight. I'm constantly amazed at what you're able to accomplish, both as the publisher of this magazine and as the executive director of Illinois Voices. And in full disclosure, I'm one of your volunteers working to get this magazine out. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm just amazed at what you and the staff are able to accomplish. So thank you again for being our guest tonight.
4: Well, I You're welcome, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And, and again, it was absolutely my privilege to talk with your staff members um, and have them just interact with me. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
0: Great. Thanks much. Thanks much. All right. Thank you. All right. So – I want to remind you all again that we're doing shows just about every week. Sometimes we're adding bonus shows during the week. You can just click on the links that you see in the social media or follow us. Please follow us on Blog Talk Radio. That way you can get notifications when shows are about to be broadcast and at the very least get links to listen to them after the fact. My name is Michael McKay, and you have been listening to Registry Report Radio. Take care.